my name's Dan Hughes from Sporadically Bored and also occasionally The Dice Tower, and you're listening to Board Game Mechanics, the only podcast out there worse than mine. Oh, I hope everybody's staying warm. We are the Board Game Mechanics. I'm Joel, and with me as always is... Hey guys, what is going on? It is Jason. Well, cool. Well, hey, I hope you guys are in a warm car or something, uh, or if you're in like you know, Southern LA or something, South of LA or something, an air conditioned car. I don't know. Um, just don't <laughs> like, don't rub it in that it's like nice and sunny where you're at. Cause I haven't seen the sun in like months now. So, um, anyway, uh, all right, well, I guess we'll just jump right into it. So I found a few things of on Kickstarter that I actually thought were interesting. And one of them was one that you mentioned to me, I think earlier in the week. And that game is called Movie Empire, and what this is is a worker placement and resource management game where you're making movies. So you're running like a movie studio. You're trying to earn favor with your boss by fulfilling contracts and making slick movies. Uh, it looks awesome. It looks like a really good game, and it looks like it's well-produced, but it's not funded yet, which is interesting. So I think it has maybe 20 days left by the time this episode airs, maybe more. So if you like interesting themes and good worker placement, well, it appears to be a good worker placement, then go check this one out. That's Movie Empire. Yeah, this one looks really neat. I think it's not revolutionary in the gameplay, really, but the theme is kind of neat. And uh, it's like a cool combination of like kind of set collection and worker placement, it feels like. So I I don't know. If I weren't on that 10 limit this year, which is a, has been a really good idea for me so far, um, I would probably look really strongly into backing this one. I think it's worth checking out for sure. Yep, I agree. All right. The next one I wanted to mention, I'm only going to mention it because it kind of has a gimmick, and it's called Mechanica. And I'm not really quite sure on the gameplay, but I know you're moving your little work. You have these little workers or disc or something and you're moving them around in your playboard your player board and it's going to give you an action but the gimmick is everything takes place inside the box so all the board all the pieces are inside the box and you're going to play the game in the box so that's kind of neat i don't know if it's cool i don't know if the game is good it looks really neat it has good production so if the gameplay is at least okay i mean that's kind of a win so mechanica Go check that one out. I think it's going to have un- under 10 days by the time this episode airs. Set up and tear down should be a breeze then. <laughs> yeah, it really should. You just open the box and go. I mean, it's kind of genius, but who knows if it's good. The Keyforge uh, an- uh, expansion has been announced. Uh, the second gen of this is called Age of Ascension. Uh, they're looking at that coming out here pretty soon. Um, there's some places where you can already get your pre-orders on. Uh, basically, they're adding a few cards to the base set, not adding any factions or, factions or anything like that at this time, and it's going to continue to use the cur- cards from the first set, um, but it's, I don't know, it's interesting. I don't know how I feel about this one totally yet, because I do love this game a lot. Uh, if I want to get into the next set of cards, all I have to do is spend 10 bucks to buy another deck, and it's not like a ton of money, um, but at the same time, I don't know, man. It's coming out really fast, so it's like looking like it's going to be one of those things that's trying to lure my wallet out of my back pocket, you know? So uh, that was a really quick expansion though, I think. Um, This thing's only been out, you know, two, three months now. Um, And I guess that's kind of the cycle they follow with trading card games. So I'm not too surprised, I guess. Yeah, I was going to say, what? Fantasy Flight's releasing an expansion three months after the game came out? No way. But man, I just love some of their games and this is one of them. So um, next set coming out. 
All right, so I'm going to talk about a game that I played. It's a bag building game or pool building, however you want to say it. You're reaching into a bag to pull out things. Um, and that game is Mercado from Cosmos or Tames and Cosmos. I think it's just Cosmos. And what you're doing in this game is you are being an, a fancy noble and you're trying to bid on these perfumes and pieces of jewelry or furniture or items for your house or go visit a merchant. But to do that, you have to reach in your pocket and I guess grab random coins that you don't know what they will be. And whatever you pull out of your pocket is what you have to spend at the market. So you're going to do this by doing kind of like a slow auction. So say I pull three coins out and this one item takes two gold and two blues, but I have a blue and a gold. I can put those blue coins and gold coins on that item and hope that nobody else completes it before me. So it might take me three rounds to get that, but I could, I still have a shot to get it if no one else pulls out certain kinds of coins. So it's kind of along the same lines as like Quacks of Quedlinburg of the push your luck type deal. I mean, it's no Quacks of Quedlinburg. I mean, let's get that right. But Mercado, really fun. If you like kind of lucky games and just easy to teach, 30 minute to play games, go check this out. There's a video of it on YouTube that I just did this week. So if you want to see a little bit more about how it plays, you can check it out there. Well, that's pretty cool. Uh, Bag building's all the rage. And I don't know, this seems like another entry that looks pretty good. Jason, I play Quacks of Quedlinburg, but I'm not going to talk about it this week because I'm positive I'll have plenty of opportunities to talk about it as every game group in the country is going to be playing this every weekend for the next six months, probably. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I, I think it's all right. It's fine. I don't love it. I don't hate it. Just I'm pretty meh about it. Um, but we'll talk about that another week because I want to talk about Blackout Hong Kong. Um, huh, okay. Um, like I can only imagine that like at some point Alexander Fister, like or Fister, however you want to say his name, uh, got a phone call from, from Eggert Spiel and they were like, hey, buddy, um, we want to publish your game. We've got some ideas, though. Let me let me know what you're thinking about this. It's basically going to be a blackboard with some white lines on it. Is that cool? And he's kind of like, well, I I don't know, I guess. And then they go, well, and then the other thing, too, is we want to basically confuse people by having different shades of those colors on every different set of components. So that you have to think about, is that red or purple? Why would purple exist? Does this mean red cards or specialists or whatever? And then the dye are going to be a totally different shade. Um, and then finally, they were like, hey... Um, you know how that, uh, you know, you know, Matt Gertz, like, you know how his games have those real thin cards that, you know, like, they don't ever really get handled, so it's not a huge deal. You don't have to shuffle them or anything. But the thin cards that are basically made out of, like, uh, double-thick toilet paper, yeah, 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 I get that. Well, we want to make the cards in your game out of single-ply toilet paper. Is that cool? I mean, we know you're going to shuffle them a bunch and stuff. Is that, are you okay with that? Uh, yeah, I guess so. So, um... Anyway, this game, all those things I said are the horrible parts about it. The colors are super confusing. Like on the on the cards, the colors. So the so the first thing is you're using color coordination to pick different resources up. Then they use the same colors for cities. So like the cities are the same colors, which is a slightly tweaked shade of those colors. And then the cards reference different colors for cities and for resources on the same card sometimes. It just it just gets a little out, like out of hand with the color confusion, and really they only need four colors. Like they only need four colors for each thing. So like not even four colors. So they could have used gray and white and I don't know some other colors to really clear things up, and they didn't. 
And then the other thing too is like they use this purple and this red and the shade of both those is like they were like, let's turn the purple shade, like let's turn it 50 steps towards red. And then they're like, hey, this red, let's turn it like 50 steps towards purple. So that like, unless you have blazing 10,000 suns brightness of light shining on your board, it's not super clear which color it is on these cards. So I mean like... It's really irritating that they did that. The color confusion thing is just terrible. And if you're if you're colorblind, you have no chance at playing this game at all. So that's the bad. The good of this game is it is a really good game. I mean, a really good game. It's a cool puzzle. You're playing competitively. The theme of it is so cool. I love the theme. Most games you play are about peddling weird concoctions to people because uh, you're a quack doctor. Whatever like crazy thing happens in board games. Um, or, or, you know, like uh, Mombasa, where you plan a camping trip in Africa. Um, <laughs> but this one is a really awesome theme. Um, there's a blackout in Hong Kong. You're a community leader. You want to go out and make things better in the community. So you're getting recruits together, and you're getting specialists together to try and provide people the needs they have while the power's out. And you're securing city blocks by getting these you know, perimeters all squared off and doing this with like little card actions. It, it borrows a little from Mombasa with that picking up stacks of cards thing, but it really is a unique game. I really like it um, as it is right now with those terrible components and colors. I think I like it a little better than Mombasa. Um, and if they come out with a second edition of this game, and if they do come out with a second edition of this game where it has proper thickness cards and the colors are all fixed, they should probably send a copy to all of us who bought the first edition because it's so bad. Um, but if the components were any better at all, I would say this game is like a five out of five amazing. It's just a really cool game. Feels uplifting. Just a fun, like, it's a light game for a fist or two. It's between room service and Great Western Trail, probably heaviness. So, um, I don't know. It's a really good game. I put a review up of this one today, actually. So if you want to hear more about it, I prattle on for about 25 minutes about it. So, um, I'm going to stop for now, though. Um, and that was Blackout Hong Kong. Yeah, I mean, Fister is a beast, so I'm sure it's a good game. It just doesn't look that great to it, me. Yeah, so it looks, I, uh, it, the look of it is just bad. Yeah, that's crazy, man, that he would let that happen. I mean, I, granted, it's not his decision. I understand that. But he's just like, wait, what's going on here? Right. And the other thing, too, is this game was announced back in like December or November. I mean, so maybe they've been doing production on it for a while, but it just feels like they rushed to get this thing out. I don't know. It's... It's weird. So yeah, that is yeah, yeah. especially for Spiel. they're usually like top notch on that stuff. Yeah, I mean, the art on it's okay, but the card thickness is like embarrassingly thin. Like I'm gonna sleeve those cards, and I don't sleeve anything, and the colors are just bad. So anyway, uh, in spite of all those things, I say if you really are into that kind of game, uh, go for it. I I sort of suggest it, but just know you're gonna struggle with the components. Cool. All right, we are moving into the top 100 still, chugging along. Uh, part eight, we've done, this will be the eighth top 10 list that we've done. That's amazing <laughs> that that you guys are still listening after two months of a top 100. Yeah, I don't know, man. I, we're going to have to rethink this next year, maybe a little. <laughs> yeah, well, that's, that's next year's problem. I, I think next year, here's my, here's my theory on it, Jason. Okay, I, I'm going to say that we do... Two bonus episodes in December next year. They're like three hours long and just do our top 100 then. And then people who are flying or going to grandma's house have them there to listen to. I don't know. That's my theory. Yeah, that'd be cool. Do a 50, 
50 each, that'd be cool. And we could like just rip the audio out of a live stream. You guys can watch us live stream and interact with us. I don't know. We'll see. If you have ideas, tell us, because we're, we're bankrupt for ideas. Yeah. Yeah. Well, at least for this week and two more, we're going to continue the top 100. Yeah. So. No, we have great ideas for the next two <laughs> weeks after this one. Yeah. All right. So enough preamble. Let's jump into it. Um, my number 30 is a game from Space Cowboys, and it is not Time Stories, but it is Elysium. Hmm. And I know that that game doesn't get a lot of love. It's been on discount a lot. Um, people don't seem to like it, but I really enjoy that game. And all it really is is a set collection game. But the way you're collecting the cards by using these pillars as like the resources. So say I wanted to take a card. It, the card may require a yellow pillar and a green pillar. Well, I don't have a green pillar, so I can't take that card. So I have to change my plan up and go get something else. Because every time you take a card, you have to get rid of a pillar. So as you take cards you're losing opportunities to do another action. So you're going to take three cards and you're going to take an end of round like um, bonus where you're going to get some money or whatever. So it's going to be played over five rounds. You're going to take like 15 cards. You're trying to move your guys from your player area down into your Elysium because that's where they score points. So really simple game. There's eight decks of cards and you play with five each game. So there's a little bit of variability, not a ton. And each game, you're not even going to see half the cards. So there is always that. So if you like set collection done in an interesting way, I say check out Elysium. That is my number 30. This is one of those that's going to fall in that Shakespeare category of game that doesn't look like much, but is actually good once I finally play it, I think. Yeah, it's good. Two players is really good. Yeah. Uh, Jason, I'm going to take us on a little sidebar here for just a second because that's what I do. Uh, I've been playing Red Dead Redemption 2 a lot like lately because it's a really awesome game and it's super fun. Um, but I say that just because Western Legends is my number 30. Um, this is a really good game. Um, it's just a really cool sandboxy. Go out and try and get one of 15 different objectives that you can do um, using pretty simple card mechanics uh, and movement mechanics. So kind of a neat system. Um, it's almost like light. Role-playing, if you're going to really have fun with it, um, you can go play cards and just get fame through playing cards. You can mine gold nuggets and get tons of nuggets delivered to the bank to get uh, fame. Uh, you can steal cattle. You can do all kinds of stuff with different characters with different powers. And if you let anybody do just one thing well and over and over again, while you're too focused on yourself, they're going to win probably. So... Um, like if somebody gets really great at mining gold nuggets, you've got to go rob them. So there's definitely some confrontation that happens in there. Um, but just kind of a fun game, really pretty game. Uh, this is from Colossal Games. I think this is, I think their first game they put out. So uh, since then they've they've really hit it hard and are doing some great things. Um, so Western Legends is my number thirty. Pretty cool game. Yeah, someday I'm going to have to play that because I've heard good things and I might have to bite the bullet, no pun intended, and play that game. I mean, play Red Dead Redemption, which is the best video game ever created, number one on my number one list of <laughs> my, my top one games of video games for right now. It's on there. And then you'll have an itch to play a Western board game, and this will be really good to you. Yeah, I've played the regular, the first Red Dead Redemption a lot. I like it. Yeah. Two, oh, man. Two is the best video game I've ever played. I'm not kidding. Anyway, uh, yeah, that was my 30, Red Dead Redemption 2. Cool. All right, my number 20... <laughs> <laughs> that didn't phase you at all. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, I just 
I just let it go. You're usually. focused on 29, man. I get it. Let's go. <laughs> All right. <laughs> My number 29 is a game from Taiwan. And it was a game that was took a while for me to get here, but they sent me a copy. And it is Symphony Number no. 9. And this is one of my favorite auction economic games that I've ever played because it has cubes and I love cubes and it has a cool theme that not isn't using a ton of games, which is um, old school classical music composers. You're trying to re- get music pieces from these eight or nine composers or, maybe, or four, five or sorry, five or six composers. And then you're trying to take those pieces of music and play them in the concert. While that all sounds super thematic, what you're really doing is you're taking cubes and then you're bidding uh, as a group, kind of to try to determine which colors of the musicians are going to score the most points. You're going to do that over six or seven rounds, and whoever has the most money at the end of the round, end of the game, is the winner. Well, whoever has the most points, money factors into it, is the winner. It's a really fun game. Uh, it's kind of a beast to teach, just because it's different. So if you're inter- looking for an economic game that's a little bit different, I say check this out if you can find it. So my number twenty nine, Symphony Number Nine. My number 29, Jason, is, as we say here in the Northern Hemisphere, Coimbra. Um, I think they say Coimbra in, in the Southern Hemisphere, but uh, it's a cool uh, dice drafting game where you're going to get cards to put into a tableau in front of you. It's got a cool shift in it where you go from caring what the pips are to what the colors are more later in the game as you get guys that trigger with certain colors. Um, there's some tracks on it that you are going to work your way up to try and um, you know, make yourself better at certain things. And then there's a, finally a map that you can go exploring on. Uh, spoilers, not on my list. This week. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm not going to talk about it right now, but it might show up later. All right, my number 28 is a game from Stefan Feld. And still not my favorite Feld, but definitely one that I really enjoy playing. And that is In the Year of the Dragon. Oh wow! Yeah, I love this game. I I don't know what it is. It's a, you take one action over twelve rounds, so you're taking twelve actions, and then for ten of those rounds, you're getting smacked in the face by the game, and <laughs> you're just trying to do better than someone else because everybody's going to be doing terribly. You just need to make sure that you're doing better than well everybody else to win. But if you don't want to come in last, at least better than one person. So what you're trying to do is you're trying to collect um, medicine. To you or food to use for when the famine comes. You're trying to collect fireworks so you can put on a fireworks display for the emperor whenever he's requesting those in one of the months. You're trying to defend yourself from the Mongols when they come in and attack. Um, I think there are some other, a couple other things that I can't remember, and they're each going to happen twice. The first two rounds are nice, so it's going to give you some time to prepare for the third round. And you're going to, it's a little action selection deal where you're going to put this little dragon on the map. Whatever area you go to is what a- one of the actions you get to take. So there might be an area that has two actions. You get to put your dragon there and pick one. And that's the game. Uh, it doesn't have great production because it's a Leah. But if you like Stefan Feld and you like games that are punishing, I recommend this one a lot. So my number 28 is In the Year of the Dragon. I Man, I didn't know you loved it this much. But anyway, yeah, cool. Jason. It's good. It's good. My number 28, Jason, is a game you already talked about, and I already salivated over your talking about it. Uh, that's Dogs of War. A really cool Simon game where you're basically playing strategic tug of war. It's got like a 5% worker placement thing going on with it, but really that's just a distraction for the fact that you're 
just trying to like destroy each other and make deals that you're going to backstab and betray people on like moments later. So uh, it's like all that backstabby making deals, alliances and breaking them of like a game like diplomacy, but you're going to do that like, I don't know, 20 times throughout the course of this game. And each one of those deals is only going to last three minutes and you're going to have to shrug it off and move on to the next one because uh, you're just making deals with everybody in this game. So just a cool, uh, cool game. The other mechanic I really like is that you get points by having lots of people going against you, but still winning. So like everyone that's on the opposing side gives you a point. So you want to win, but you don't want to win unopposed because then you would get basically nothing. So you want to kind of like bait people to go against you, but then also like you want to, I don't know, you want to win. So it's like, there's so many weird conversations you have where it's like, Hey, listen, I will go against you here and let you win. If you're going to go against me here and let me win, like basically saying when you throw like, you know, soldier fodder up against my cannon so that way I can get more points and just weird deals happen all the time in this game. Um, but it's one that I think is worth playing at least once. If you haven't dogs of war, kind of hard to find out there. It's, it wasn't a huge hit, but my number 28. I totally agree. I like that game quite a bit. Not as much as you, but pretty close. I think it was just in your last 10, though. So I think we're yeah. not super far off. Yep, pretty close. All right. My number 27 is a game from Queen, and it is called Fresco. So what this game is, it's a kind of a action selection behind a, a screen game where you're putting these little workers down you're trying to pick certain actions that you want to take and how much of that action you want to take and you're going to go collect some paints you're going to mix some paints to turn them into different colors you may send some guys out to go paint the Sistine Chapel area or you might go paint a portrait to earn some money all that is the basis of the game but the thing that really is interesting about this game is the turn order is like a wake up mechanism so you pick what time you want to wake up and the earlier you wake up you get to go first, but everything is more expensive. If you go later, you if you wake up later, you're going to go last, but everything's cheaper. So it's kind of like, a, you know, how bad do you want to go first? If you want to go really badly first, then you're going to pay more money. So that's interesting to me, and I really enjoy this game. So my number 27, Fresco. Yeah, it's an awesome family weight game for sure. Uh, I think this one made my top 100, but it was down the list a little ways. Uh, good pick, though. Uh, Jason, my number 27 is one that you've already mentioned. Uh, it's my favorite co-op game uh, until there's a co-op game above it on this list, maybe, but I don't think there is. Um, <laughs> that's Black Orchestra. I really love this game. The tension you feel in this game, trying to kill Hitler and just trying to get everything to work out the right way is just so tense, so good. And like you, when that military strength slides up and you guys are trying to make this ploy to get Hitler, it just, when that military slides up and becomes more powerful and you have that setback of like, okay, well, we have everything in place, but there's no way we can try and do this until Hitler's military gets weaker. So we have to wait and wait and wait and wait and just hope to survive. Like that tension, I to me, that feels like, I have a sense of empathy for people who are living in that regime where it's like, we have to wait this terrible thing out and just hold on to hope that maybe something better will happen someday, you know? So I think that you get a just glimpse of that feeling that people in the forties in Germany may have felt, you know? Um, and, and I mean, like, I'm not saying that you relive what they lived. I mean, what they lived through was like, you know, a million times more intense than what you're going to experience with this board game, but it gives you a better glimpse into what their world was like, I think, than a lot of other activities that try to do that, like watching movies and things like that. So I think this is one that, honest to goodness, um, if I taught 
World War II in a class, I would 100% buy four or five copies of this game and teach teach kids through you them playing this game. I think it would totally be worth it. It makes history come alive so well. And then it's just a lot of fun. It's like a puzzle kind of that you're solving, but you feel like the other thing is when you play this game with people and you come out on the other side of it, either successful or defeated, you feel like you've really kind of gone through something with them, honestly. So, I mean, like it has that bonding experience of like, um, it feels like you did more than play a game with people, kind of. It feels like you went through an experience with them. So, um, Black Orchestra, my 27. Yeah, I just said that last week, and I think this game is fantastic. So, I agree with you 100%. All right. So, Joel, this next one's going to blow your mind. Uh, I don't think you thought it was on my list, but it is. And oh, wow. That, <laughs> no, that definitely is in my like top 1 million, I think. And my 26, though, is Keyflower. Wow. Yeah, I, I as I was doing my list, it just kept I just kept liking it over other things. And I was judging the game by the game, not by our experience. So <laughs> I think Keyflower is a great game and I think that bidding mechanism where you're putting your people on the side of the hex so you know that you're it, you know, you're bidding and you can only bid the same color that's already there. I think that's super genius, super simple. And then using workers to move around your little board so you can collect resources and stuff is it's it's genius. It's it's a good game. It's I haven't played any of the other key games, but I've heard this is probably the best. So yeah, I'll, I'll just wait to play this one again. So my number twenty six, Keyflower. Excellent pick. Excellent pick, Jason. And the other thing is that like this one gets better on repeated plays because you start to understand that the game really happens on your little colony area, and you don't get that the first time you play it sometimes. Um, so I don't know. It just gets better and better the more you play it, I think. So very cool. Good pick, Jason. Really good yep. pick. That yep. is a little surprising. I didn't think you guys were really that into it, but I love this game. Um, yeah, anyway. Uh, well, Jason, my number 26, the next three games follow that. They start with an R, and then the last word, there's four words in the title, and the last word ends with G. And so the first one in that series is Race for the Galaxy. This is a card game. It's kind of like San Juan, if you ever played San Juan. Um, it's like you you do a role selection, and then you're using cards as currency to try and put out cards, but then also you're going to use cards to make a machine to gather more cards into your hand. So, um, And then you're trying to, you know, settle settle things down and uh just i don't know it's a cool exploration game the theme really isn't that present in it honestly um it's just a cool card driven engine builder game um with where the cards serve as your currency kind of too so um really a neat game uh just a, a solid game overall and i really like it uh this one's got some age on it now but it's definitely will hold out holding up pretty well. I think it has an expansion coming out this year yet. So it's something that people are still playing. That's number 26 race for the galaxy. Yeah. I, I haven't played this, but I have been interested in San Juan. So I may give that one a go. Cause I think the multi-use card stuff is interesting. Yeah, for sure. All right. My number 25 is a game that I've been raving about for a couple weeks and I'm just going to jump right into it. It's a bag builder. It's push your luck, and it is the Quacks of Quedlinburg. I know this isn't your game. I don't know. I, I just think you're not as high on push, as as high on push your luck as I am. But I love this game. Every time I play it, I have a great time. Uh, I love just reaching in the bag and pulling out those stupid little chips, and hoping that I don't hit eight white ones and have to pick between if I want to buy things or get points. 
it's super easy. It's it's just fun. So it's not a heavy game by any means, but every time I played it, I've had a blast. So that's why it makes it this high up on the list and my number 25, The Quacks of Quedlinburg. And I have a review of it on our YouTube channel if you want to go check it out. It's a cool game as far as push your luck goes, but here's like why I don't like it that much. My experience with it, with it was this. Um, you get like you think you play like eight or nine rounds or ten rounds maybe even, and those last couple rounds you're gearing up for those to get you just big points, you know. And so um, the second to last round, I pull out two chips, and it's my three white and my two white like immediately, and then like I pull out like a green one, and then I pull out all the rest of my white chips, and like literally like have nothing but white chips come out of my bag. So like that was just dumb. <laughs> and that made me like have a bad experience. And like, I mean, I think that if you were a, st- a statistician, um, that happening once to me would be like, wow, maybe you should go like buy a lottery ticket today. And then it happened on the very next round again, like where like only the white chips came out. And like, so anyway, it was uh, it was a pretty wackadoo thing that happened, but I think that it's a very good game and it has merits for sure. And if you like push your luck, man, you're right. It's it's probably as good a push your luck game as you're going to get um, to have any complexity to it. So pretty cool. Um, hey, another pro tip. This is just the kind of stuff you get when you come listen to our show, I guess. There's these little coin holders that I've used for my copy of Altiplano. The same coin holders, if you like get a pair of like nail clippers out and clip off the edges of these of these little chits, you can put them in the same plastic like little coin encapsulating things. And the copy I played had that on it. And it made it so nice to draw those little plastic chits out of your bag. It was just pretty awesome. I think it probably adds to the gameplay a little bit, honestly. So uh, pro tip. Yeah, I think that would be a good idea because the copy I played, had, I think we, it was played five times and the chips were already getting worn out from all the, you know, pulling them out of the bag and touching them with your hands. So that's a good idea. Yeah, they get beat up a ton in that game. Um, no, cool pick, Jason. The more I think about this game, the more I was like, yeah, I, I do kind of really like that game. So... Um, it didn't make my list because it wasn't in time. Um, and I didn't. I mean, like, I didn't love it enough to, like, try and bump stuff around. So, um, uh, all right, 25 uh, is Roll for the Galaxy, which is a first cousin of the game I just talked about, Race for the Galaxy, except for you're using die, and you're using, like, you're spending die to try and, like, buy these little, um, basically, cardboard tiles to build up an area where you're going to get better at doing things all the time. Roll for the Galaxy is a little quicker, I think. Um, it's the dice version of the game, basically, and it's a little easier to explain because there's more text. Race for the Galaxy is kind of hard to explain because there's so much s- symbology there. This game just puts some text on the tiles. Makes it a little more language dependent, but it makes it much easier to play. Um, pretty cool game, though. Roll for the Galaxy. Um, and, you know, honestly, these two are pretty much interchangeable. Like, kind of depending on the day, it's which one I like better. Um, but I both I like them both quite a bit. So uh, that was Roll for the Galaxy. Yeah, that game seems kind of interesting. Uh, you're, I like rolling dice in games, so maybe I'll give that one a try someday. Yeah, I'd play this one with you over race, I think, Jason. I think I'd play San Juan and Roll for the Galaxy if I were going to. At the retirement community when we settled down and play board games, I'd play those two with you. <laughs> All right, something to look forward to. All right, my number 24 is a little two-player game. It really plays three or four, but it needs to play two. And it's from... Uh, Keymaster Games. We've done a giveaway of it, and it is called Caper. This game's super high on my list because I've had a great time playing it every time. It's just a little two-player drafting game where you're drafting these thieves to go to these three locations to try to steal some some jewels and some precious art and some artifacts and stuff. And you're also trying to equip those thieves with 
um, some items that are going to help you do better than your opponent on each side. So it's kind of like a tug of war, essentially, on each one of the three locations. And each round, a different player is going to be first in the drafting. So you're going to keep a card, you're going to play it, you're going to pass, like normal drafting stuff. And you're going to do that over six rounds, and whoever has the most points is the winner. It's really easy. Uh, it has a great rule book, great production. The artwork is gorgeous on it. So if you like two-player games and you like drafting, I definitely recommend this one. And that is my number 24, Caper. Yeah, that's a game that you've talked about a ton this last year and really loved. Um, very cool. Um, they have a new game out, and I don't remember what the name of it's called. I think it might be either on Kickstarter right now. I think it's on Kickstarter or coming to Kickstarter. And I don't remember the name of it, either that or I'm being real dodgy and not mentioning it because I want to try and like, like uh, coax them into sending me a review copy. So I will give them some some love. But it looks really good. And I don't remember what the name of it is, but Keymaster is a company to keep an eye on. It's called, uh, and- it's called Parks. That's it. Parks. Yeah. Um, it looks kind of cool, actually. So anyway, um, yeah, that's really cool, Jason. Uh, my number 24, this is the last of my R blank blank G word games, and that's Raja of the Ganges. Um, this has kind of got a cool thing with it's It's dice placement and tile placement. Uh, so it's kind of cool. You're putting your, your tiles down in your little village to try and make it better all the time um, to move up your karma and your money. And then the way how this game works, the one of the most unique things about this game, it's got, you know, and then the dice placement and all that stuff. I mean, like you've seen that different places. You've seen tile placement, different places. But the thing I really haven't seen other places is the fact that this game, it ends as soon as there's a clockwise uh, scoring track and a counterclockwise scoring track. And once those pass each other, once you intersect those two tracks, the game's over. And the winner of the game is the person who goes the furthest past each other. So like really, honestly, you could, you know, like try really hard to make tons and tons of money and not really care as much about karma. But if you over overshot each other by, you know, 10, 10 spots, you're going to do just as well or better than somebody else who tried to balance things. So um, that overlap mechanism is really cool, I think. And that's Rajas of the Ganges or Raja of the Ganges. Um, and I think this one just came out last year too. So it's one that's pretty high on my list for a game. It's only been out for about a year. Uh, number 24. Yeah, that is a pretty good game, and it's so good that it's my number 23. Oh, man, I love it when we do that. <laughs> so my number 23, Rogers of the Ganges, everything you said. Uh, this has been one of the games that I've played a lot with people who are actually non-gamers. It's a little bit beefier than a lot of other like intro worker placement games, but I think it's beautiful enough that that'll grab people's attention, so they'll have the nice dice to look at, and the board is really gorgeous. So while they're learning worker placement, they can also roll some dice and use those as resources and just have some fun. So it's gone over well. I enjoy it. That scoring mechanism is awesome, and I haven't seen it done in any other game. So, yeah, I like it. So my number 23, Rogers of the Ganges. Well, that's crazy because my number 23, Jason, is uh, Mombasa. Um <laughs> This is a cool game. Uh, I like it. It's a rough theme. It's about the colonization of Africa and trying to exploit that land. Um, but it's it's cool mechanically, very cool mechanically. You're basically setting up a network of like little mining camps, um, all the while using these cards to do what you want to do, and then trying to program the cards in the right slots so that way when you pull a stack of cards back in, you're building a nice 
good hand for your next time that you use cards. Uh, it also has elements of worker placement in it and deck building almost because you're buying more cards for that all the time. Uh, a pretty cool little game. Quite a bit going on on it. Um, and one that kind of like, I, I don't know, I think some people out there know about it, but it's not that widely played or widely known, uh, Mombasa. And I think this is one that's going to be forgotten probably in five years, honestly, uh, which is a little unfortunate. But that said, this game was in my top 10 last year, so it's dropped quite a bit already. And I don't know if this one's going to have a lot of staying power even with me. So uh, Mombasa, 23. Yeah, I like it. I had it for a while and I traded it because, I don't know, the more I played it, the less I liked it, which... It's terrible. Like the first time it was amazing. Then as I kept playing it, I was like, uh, eh, this isn't as good as I remember. And then I just got rid of it. But yeah, it's a puzzle that you learn how to solve almost. I mean, like you learn, okay, I need to get the letters to fire so that way I can get these things to happen. And I need to get this thing going at the same time. So that way I can power up and get my fourth slot. So, you know what I mean? Like, and then get your fifth slot. And I mean, like, it's like you learn the process of the game. And once you learn the process of the game, it's like some of that novelty wears off and it feels like you've solved the puzzle a little bit. So I definitely understand what you mean. Yep. Uh, still good. So yeah, it's still a good game. Just not my favorite. All right. So my number 22 is a game where you're trying to paint the, um, emperor's, um, statues. They're his guards. And I can't remember the name of it. Um, the Chin dynasty, uh, the little guys that are buried in the ground. Terracotta. Yes. The terracotta warriors. Katie's going to beat me down when she hears this. Um, so yeah, you're, you're trying to uh, dig up these terracotta warriors and then you're trying to paint them in your color. And the way you're going to do that is you're going to take 12 actions over the whole entire game. You're going to put your little worker on a certain action that's going to allow you to do one of four different things. You can put a worker out on the board. You can color the worker. You can buy some artifacts. And I think there's one more action that I can't remember. And then... Uh, you're going to do this through a really cool card play mechanism where you're going to take two cards and you're going to use one for the action value, which high numbers fire first, low numbers fire last. And you're going to use one card for the actual power of the card. So you may be giving up a really good card to do a not so great action, but you need to go first to be able to take the action that you want to do on the board. So it's an interesting card play mechanism. It looks awesome. As on the table when you have all the different colored terracotta warriors from everybody. It's super fun. Not super highly rated on BGG. I think it's in like the 3000s, but I really like it. And if you're a fan of that cool theme and terracotta warriors and interesting card mechanisms, I say check this one out. So that is my number 22, Shion. Yeah, this is a game that looks really cool. I have never played it, but I've seen pictures of it when you've played it, and it looks really neat. It has a good table presence for sure. Uh, I think it'd be worth checking out, even myself personally. Um, yeah, pretty cool. My number 22, Jason, is a game from last year, actually. Uh, a game by Martin Wallace, and it's not Brass Birmingham. Um, that one probably would have made the list if I had played it earlier, uh, really highly. But this one is Australia. Um, this is, and that's A-U-Z, Australia, Australia, because, you know, zombies and Cthulhu. Um, <laughs> this one's really cool. You're basically, like, I think the story is that the main continent uh, in a study in Emerald was, you know, secured, and that was successful. But then people went back to Australia, and oh, no, Cthulhu's still hanging out there. So you have to fight off these Cthulhu beasts while you're trying to get, you know, more resources, um, it's got this cool mechanism where you put cubes down 
uh, and it gets more expensive to keep taking actions until you forego a turn to clear your card. Uh, and then it, then everything gets cheaper again. But you're building like a network of rails to go fight Cthulhu monsters. And a really cool game. It just sounds bizarre. Uh, fun fact, uh, Martin Wallace's actual first name for this game, his, his first prototype name was Ticket to Zombie. That's probably not true, but it could be. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it could be. It does look like that. It's a pretty fun little game, honestly. Um, and one that kind of got, I mean, the, the theme is so campy and weird that I think a lot of people didn't look twice at this game, but it's actually a really good game. Uh, really enjoy it. Australia. So does the rule book say why it's spelled with a Z? Because I've just want, been wanting to know that. Zombies, dude. Does it really have zombies in it? Yeah, it has zombies. Oh, okay. I thought it, I didn't realize it had zombies. I thought it was just Cthulhu. Cthulhu. Uh, it has zombies. I think it's that hit road Z thing, you know, too. Right, right, right. Like he loves his Z's. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> you trickster Marty Wallace. <laughs> that Marty Wallace. Uh, speaking of Marty Wallace, my number 21 is London. First edition. Huh. First edition. None of that second edition stuff that looks good. Throw the board away. Yep. Um, so London is essentially... Yeah, the board is superfluous. I get that. But London is essentially an engine building game. 100% pure engine building. Not really anything else to it. So on your turn, you're going to draw a card. And you're going to either play cards to your hand to make your city bigger. Meaning you're going to put cards face up in front of you. So when you run your city, they're going to fire. You're going to put a little building on the board to maybe get get more cards in your hand. Or get rid of some of your um, poverty, whatever. Or you're gonna fire your city. When you fire your city, all the cards that are face up are gonna gonna give you bonuses and benefits, maybe money, maybe poverty, maybe get rid of poverty. And then when you're done using your city, you have to flip all the cards over and build it again. So literally it's building your city, putting cards in your tableau, spending those cards, and then doing it all over again. It's a super fun game. I really enjoy it. The more I play it, the more I like it. It kind of grows on you. First time, it's not as good, but every time after that, it gets a little better because you understand the nuances. So if you like uh, Martin Wallace games and engine building and just card placing, tableau building, check this one out. That's London, first edition, my number 21. Yeah, we're a strange group, us board gamers, because if a card game doesn't have a board with it, we all go out and buy play mats that organize and put the cards in certain spots on these play mats. But if a game comes with the board and the board's not heavily used, people ditch the board. So it's just weird. <laughs> I don't know. Um, no, London's a cool game. And I think the interesting thing about it is that poverty thing. Like the first time I played this game, um, only time I played this game, I was so obsessed with like not getting too much poverty that I didn't take good actions that would have been worth taking the poverty for um so you can't get too obsessed with the fact that you're gonna grind people into poverty um but you gotta remember you're ebenezer scrooge and you don't really mind that much as long as you're making good money otherwise yep. so um i don't know it's a cool game for sure um i think the fact that it looks like uh looks like brass kind of aesthetic made me a little fond and feel feel some nostalgia for it so I, I think it's a cool pick, Jason. This is one that's been on my radar for a while to actually pick up and put in my collection. I don't know if it seemed like I liked it that much when we played it, but good pick, Jason. Yeah, and uh, the thing with this one, just like Year of the Dragon, all you have to do is do better than someone else with the poverty because whoever has the least amount of poverty, even if you have 10, they all go away. So right. yeah, you don't have to have zero. You just need to have less than somebody else. Right. All right, Jason. What's up with us doing these like 50-minute episodes? It's weird. Um. My number 21 
is a game in space. So there's three of them in this chunk and one <laughs> Western. So <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. Uh, this one's terraforming Mars. This is actually a really cool game. Um, you have to play it with a draft, I think, to make the game fun and fair. Because if you get these like twelve cost cards or higher in your initial hand, you can't do anything with your with your hand of cards, and you get this like glut of cards that just hampers you for so long, and you can't get your engine started. So that's why you have to play with a draft, so that way you're assured to get at least either or either everyone gets crappy twelve cost cards, and we're all like handicapped at the same rate, or like you get a chance to get a nice mix of cards by doing some draft. So um, I think that's pretty cool. Um, Worst components and notorious for its bad components for sure, but it's getting a ton of expansions and um, I don't know. This one's had some really big staying power. I think it's like a top ten, maybe top five on BGG game. Um, really, just a card driven engine building game where you're trying to terraform Mars, and I really do like it. Um, everyone I've played it with pretty well likes it, but it does look like the card design and board design was done in MS Paint. So. And the quality of the cardboard and stuff, not great, but you can buy some upgraded components now. So um, I think a deluxe edition of this one will come out or a 10th anniversary edition or something will come out in a few years and fix all that. But until then, we're stuck with bad components playing a really good game. And that's number 21, Terraforming Mars. Yeah, this is what I'm interested in. But as a side note, it is Stronghold. So I don't know if they will ever do a deluxe edition. (laughs) And I like that sounds really critical, but I think if Stronghold was done with their production, they would be like, like super legit and i would definitely be like they have great games i just wish their games came looked a little better and had better components yeah you know what though i think i don't know like some of their games that i've seen lately like australia has amazing components in it that's true absolutely amazing and then forum trajan has really really good components in it too so i don't know if they've learned a lesson from from uh terraforming mars or if it's a matter of like publishing so i think like Fryaxis Games or whatever was the one that originally published Terraforming Mars or did all the work on getting it published. Right. And then I think maybe Stronghold just does distributorship of it. And I think maybe the same thing's true with a lot of their games. So I don't know that Stronghold's necessarily responsible for the production value of their games. I think they just kind of distribute them. Because I mean, like, I don't know, the Kanban, the new driver's edition of Kanban has that double-sided board that's pretty nice. And even even the Kanban editions that you and I have isn't bad. So I think a lot of Stronghold games are pretty good. But I don't know. I definitely feel like this one, they man, they could have sold twice as many copies or one and a half as many copies if it had just really cute, cool design, you know? I mean, right. cute cute or cool. Either one, I'll take it. Which is crazy, too, because they've already sold a pile of these things. So, <laughs> I mean, they're not hurting for sales of this game, that's no. for sure. I mean, and it's weird, too. The guy who did, did the graphic design of this game was out of work until uh, Eggert Spiel called him up and said, hey, we've got this game called Blackout Tokyo. Are you ready to do some more design? <laughs> yeah. Sounds like they use the same cards, too. Yeah, pretty well. <laughs> Oh, that's funny. All right, so that was uh, another 10. There'll be two more to come. But before I go any further, I want to give a shout-out to Dan Hughes from Sporadically Bored and occasionally the Dice Tower for doing our deprecating intro. So he's a cool guy, and go check out his podcast because it's pretty funny. Yeah, that was pretty cool. I You surprised me with that. So I really uh, thought that was pretty neat. I'm... I'm Curious to see what other connections you uh, capitalize on. And uh, I, I don't know. I will know we made it when uh, 
when I hear, hey, it's Richard Ham, Rado, and these boys, I've never listened to their show, but I'm a nice guy, and here's their intro. <laughs> that would be pretty amazing. <laughs> yeah, he's a nice guy. He probably would do it, honestly. I mean, like... He, he probably would. He wouldn't listen to our show for us, but he would do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's all we can really ask. Yeah, so uh, in wrapping up, though, I will say this. We, I remember when we used to get like five subs on YouTube and it was like, oh my gosh, let's dance and high five. We jumped up like a hundred subs in the last week and a half. So, I mean, like things are growing, things are clicking, things are moving, loving it a lot. Um, our Facebook page, man, we're zooming through, like we're, we're approaching like a thousand, I think really quick here, which is nothing, but I mean, like it's something to us, I guess. So, um, really awesome growth guys. Um, if you would do us a favor and review and share our show. That's how it's happening. Like we don't have massive budgets like the good folks at Rado Productions. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know that anybody has a massive budget other than maybe one big company that does board game stuff. Um, but like we have like a literally a budget of zero. Like we we have nothing. So yeah. um, it's all you guys, all 100% you guys sharing videos and sharing our posts and reviewing us and liking us. Um, man, I think, I don't know. Jason does a lot of hard work for the show and does a good job and he's pretty likable and he's decided to attach me to him. So do Jason a favor and go ahead and give a, a nice little review or something. That'd be amazing. And actually we have quite a few reviews on iTunes, five-star ratings. So that's awesome. So you guys are doing it. We appreciate it. Thank you so much. Yep. I agree. You guys are awesome. And it's nice to get to see, hear some comments that you dig the show and you think that we're not terrible. So keep that coming. Makes us feel Okay. Yep, and I will say this too. <laughs> we have a subgroup called the Riveted, and I think I pretty well know all the members by name at this point. I mean, like especially the ones that contribute. So, well, it's well, pretty to be awesome. fair, I used to know everybody's name in our <laughs> messaging group until you changed everybody's names. <laughs> yeah, so that's a fun story. My buddy Jed calls Jason Party Games because it's just funny. Uh. Jason sounds like the Marlboro man and the lightest game he plays is Lisboa. <laughs> so why wouldn't you call him party games? Yeah, all that jid. Although speaking of party games, Jason's found his ditch on YouTube. He puts a party game review up and it has hundreds of hits Dude, in minutes. Yeah, so it's nuts, man. Crazy. It is crazy. <laughs> I'm gonna start being the party game guy. Like Jed's Jed's legit. Party games. That's my name. All right. Well, anyway, I guess. I've been Joel and he's been Party Games <laughs> and keep gaming. Yep, keep gaming. Good show, Party <laughs> Games. <laughs>